Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 227. This week we talk with Nikola Matulov about Graph Toolkit, what it takes to join the Boring Technology Club, Bitcoin mining on the Apollo guidance computer, is it a good idea? No, no it is not. And the technology I can't think of is GAN. Thank you, future me, for ignoring the Temporal Prime Directive and traveling back in time to remind me. To celebrate the launch of their .NET Core support for APM, Raygun is giving away a free Raspberry Pi prize pack to a lucky winner. All you need to do is go to raygun.com slash dev dash show, and Raygun will let the winner know via email. Don't wait, because the winner will be chosen by July 22nd. This week, we have Nikola Matulov, software engineer on the PAX team, and that stands for Partners, Analytics, and Essential Experiences. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Carl, how's the stickers going? <laughs> the stickers are going great. Uh, oh, you have if, stickers? Yeah. Yeah, we do. If you don't have any, we'll drop some off next time we're nearby. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. We've got, we've got a ton. But for everybody else who uh, we can't visit physically, uh, you can email us. Put stickers in the title of the email and your name and address in the body, and we'll physically mail you out some stickers. We've gotten a bunch, and normally I can tell uh, right when people start listening to a new episode because within just a few minutes, uh, since this is right in the beginning, people seem to be right near their machines, and we get a, like a, a little boost of uh, sticker requests right at the beginning of every week. That's cool. So people are actually listening. They're not just downloading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great to hear. Our sponsors will love to hear that. Uh, Okay, so what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, This week, we have a comment from Dave Follett on Twitter. He said, I really enjoyed the C++ episode on the MS Dev Show. Your guest was correct about C++ getting a lot better with language updates, uh, C++ 11, 14, and 17. My favorites are the auto keyword for type inference, ranged loops, and lambda expressions. Wish I had time to migrate everything. So if you want to get mentioned on the show like Dave, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on our website or Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Yep. And I love it when people tweet about the show like that because that, that just helps, like it helps get the word out because we're always trying to expand the audience. Uh, Plus so we'll we, retweet you, so that's a guaranteed retweet. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, sometimes I miss one every once in a while, but uh, I'm pretty good about that. I retweet pretty much all of them, so... Um, even if you have no followers on Twitter, you can actually get some people to see that tweet at least. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the news. So the first one here is actually at boringtechnology.club. <laughs> awesome URL. Yeah. So what's yeah, So about? this one, I think you found it. It's uh, like a PowerPoint deck of uh, a presentation that somebody had given about how people choose their technology. Um, I know a lot of times that we really like... Uh, to use the ni- nicest, shiniest technologies out there. And that's definitely something that we tend to concentrate on on the show is some of the newer, shinier things. But a lot of times those comes with a lot of trade-offs. And he takes the time to go over uh, throughout this presentation why that might not be the best choice, why you might want to choose what he calls the boring or proven technologies instead. Mm-hmm. Was there anything in particular you wanted to call out on this? Well, I, I just, you know, going through it, I, I think it's really interesting because I, I think you pulled out the the key part, but I think it's just worth reiterating. Like, you know, you, you have to have this foundation of stability. And I find it interesting because I think it was like the Mars rovers where 
Um, they, you know, published like the hardware that they use in their, um, you know, in the Mars rovers and like the camera is five years old. And the reason for that is they had to pick their camera five years ago and then it had to stay the same the whole time because they have to build up a whole system around it. So like they really understand that if they were to swap out like a new camera, which is obviously going to be a fraction of the weight, which saves a lot of money. It's going to be better in every regard. The quality is going to be way better. Um, all of that is unimportant whenever you compare it to like stability of the of the platform whenever you're actually sending a, a, a rover to Mars. So that's sort of the canonical example I think of. Now, luckily, we're not all sending uh, rovers to Mars, so we can afford a little bit less stability, um, depending obviously on on what you're what you're building. Um, but I think that, um, you know, it's, you you have to look, there's a continuum of, we need to be super stable. And then there's the other side of the continuum, which we're going to like, we're going to move so fast that we're going to break everything all the time. And our users are going to suffer for that. Um, and we're just going to be busy just like changing things for the sake of changing things all the time. So I think you have to find the right balance and he's just making the case for like, Hey, sometimes it's better just to pick some technologies that are well understood, that are popular enough that, you know, if there, if you have an issue, uh, you'll be able to find others who have had that issue and it's not going to be in what he calls an unknown unknown. Um, so I can, I can just really, I can just really appreciate that. And I, I think, I think we all don't have to go, uh, so far on the side of just using only things that are proven, but, um, you know, we should just consider all of the different factors whenever you figure out where you want to be on the continuum. Well, the one uh, example that he gave that I really liked was a time that he was working at Etsy. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people know Etsy is a pretty popular site. And there was a feature that they had built. And uh, when choosing a technology for it, he showed a few different architecture diagrams and saying, like, this one box could be swapped out with a bunch of different things. Some of the things we didn't have back then when we were building this feature. Uh, Memcached kind of fit it, but it had a lot of quirks with it. So they kind of engineered some reliability into handling how memcached works and uh, just they just did a solid job and kind of didn't look at it. And a few years later, when they like looked at it, like, Hey, you know, how is this code doing? They found out that uh, it's, ha- it was handling 20 times more scale with zero effort mm-hmm. and engineering put in it over those years. So by choosing that technology that where they really understood what it could and couldn't do, and they kind of engineered around what it couldn't do. Um, they were able to, you know, build something that was pretty gosh darn reliable. I love the the quote that starts off that whole section. Hey, I just heard about this new graph database. I think we should try it out. And it's by someone who is about to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much uh, sums it up. Any any comments, Nicola? I think it's all about cost too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you already have a set of developers who are you know, experts in a specific technology moving from one to the other is it's time consuming and it's, you know, it's prohibitive for in some cases. So staying with something that's proven, just like Carl said, is it's a lot of cases is better than just having to move to the next thing. I think there was at some point I was reading a blog post every day of somebody saying, oh, yeah, this is why we moved to this technology. This is why we moved to this technology. And mm-hmm. at some point, it's like, how much time do you have to keep moving from one to the other? It's, you know, do you make any money or do you just like, you know, learning the new things? <laughs> I just like learning new things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So speaking of mixing the old and the new, our next news story here, Bitcoin mining on an Apollo guidance computer. So 
uh, apparently I didn't know this, but there's uh, someone out there at uh, Zero Alto, uh, Zero X Alto Restoration mm-hmm. that has been restoring an Apollo guidance computer. And obviously, this is the kind of computer that went on the Apollo missions on those uh, rockets back in the late 60s and early 70s. And uh, they were, uh, once they restored it, they're like, we need to, you know, test it out. So, what application did they build? Of course, a Bitcoin miner. <laughs> um, this seems a little bit ridiculous, but uh, they got it working. You can um, mine Bitcoin at, I think, 10.3 seconds per hash. Which I, I forgot. They say in there it would take a billion times the age of the universe to successfully mine a Bitcoin block. <laughs> but <laughs> so this is but not it can a good do idea. It. <laughs> what if I install this as an app on my phone? <laughs> this is pretty cool because yeah, they said it was one of the first uh, that actually had an integrated uh, circuit chip too, right? Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is really cool. So this thing was like super innovative uh, for the for the time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and not to get too far off topic, but I've been reading a few other uh, space-related uh, computing pieces. But on the on the moon lander, uh, it was actually hardwired into the lander how to land on the moon, the okay. code for it. Um, <laughs> you, it was either uh, through for a one and around for a zero. Like, so you would actually uh, um, wrap the copper around uh, coils in these different patterns yeah. and that would hardwire the code in there. So just imagine you know, like physically designing that, you know, etching your code into uh, the physical parameters uh, of these devices. So, you know, that's some of the things that go into, you know, toughening, you know, computing systems at least 40, 50 years ago uh, to make them space ready. That is just crazy. This is, so, this is, I just can't believe how miniature this stuff has gotten to. I mean, it just feels like impossible. I mean, it feels like the technology we have is just impossible whenever you start to look at something like this. And and, well, and, we and ever- the rate of innovation is just insane. Um, I was last time I, I was talking to Richard Campbell, he was bringing up an example of uh, the Cray supercomputer. Mm-hmm. You know, those got really popularized in the 90s with Jurassic Park. Uh, but in the mid-80s, a Cray supercomputer, I forgot exactly what the computer power was. I'm not going to bring it up, but it was like a, gig, a certain amount of gigaflops. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the equivalent processing power of an iPad 2. <laughs> of course. that That is crazy. So, that is crazy. And I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if we're getting smarter or stupider because like, I feel like, the 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 amount of like brain power that it took to 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 design something like this is really just unbelievable um and i guess we're still making chips and stuff like that but now we have computers to assist us in so much of this so i guess we're building on that other work but i don't know it feels like we're 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 almost like building things on things that we don't uh that we understand less and less it's like that episode of the star trek the next generation when there was the computer that took care of everybody on that planet and uh, they're like, well, yeah, we don't know how that thing, that thing works, but it just, you know, it just helps us. They called it the the custodian. <laughs> sort of feels like we're in that era. I'm just curious how much power this thing uses and how much it costs a bit to uh, mine a Bitcoin. Well, like. they compare it. They actually compare it to a USB miner. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me find. Okay, so you can get a a stick miner that plugs in your USB port that does 130 billion hashes per second, and that's seventy dollars. Um, the Apollo guidance computer, it says $150,000. I assume that was at the time. Um, it takes 55 Watts of power 
and um, and the USB binder uses 12 watts of power. So the USB one uses way less. And mm-hmm. what is the ratio here? So 130 billion hashes per second compared to, um, oh, it was one in five seconds, maybe? I think it's uh, t- one in every 10.3 seconds, right? Okay. So, so one per so second. The, so the USB stick is well over a hundred billion times faster (laughs) (laughs) for $70 and you could buy it. You know, you could just be like anybody like, I don't know how this thing works. You plug it in and it starts like making money. Yeah. It's we've come a long way. Uh, well (laughs) actually this next news story will feel like we have not come a long way. Uh, so this is uh, userinyourface.com, and this has been frustrating everybody for a long time since this thing came out. Do you want to talk about this, Carl? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of time what we talk about in design is how do we make things as intuitive for users as possible? Mm-hmm. How do we use the web standards that we have, the patterns and practices that our people are used to, plus the natural way of kind of doing things to, you know, flow people through a process. We want to make it easier to fill out a form, make it easier for people to, you know, check out with the items in their shopping cart, so on and so forth. Well, this website is the exact opposite of all that. It's (laughs) how can we use what we've learned in that area to make a form that's as difficult to fill out as possible. And what's really interesting about this is not only is it really hard to like figure out what to do, but they keep putting uh, timers in there to show you just how poorly you're doing and uh, including ways in, in those timers to like reset your process on accident. Um, so I I've played with this a little bit as I'm sure uh, a lot of people have uh, on both a, a desktop and mobile. And even though the uh, interactions are the exact same, I mean, it's just coded well, in, in, in air quotes, um, to handle both those situations, it's much, much harder on a mobile device. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is like everything, pretty much everything I'm seeing here, I've seen in the real world. I mean, <laughs> just not all at once put together. Right. right. We're just terrible at user interfaces, man. Every time I order something, I mean, honestly, I think that's half the reason why like Amazon does so well is they just save all your information and they just make it so easy. Um, because if I go to like, you know, carlzcommerce.com, right? I'm just like, oh, I got to go through this again. And then your checkout might fail. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just the web is just painful. <laughs> I love that lock unlock. Yeah. This thing, it's just crazy. Like the password has to be at least 10 characters, one capital letter, one numeral, uh, at least one letter of your email. And it must have one, uh, Cyrillic character. <laughs> <laughs> and then like in the fields too, like it says choose password. But when you start typing, like choose password stays in there, um, which I have seen like, again, none of this is new. And then they reverse everything too. Like uh, this site uses cookies. Is that a problem for you? And then the, the yes button is what is, uh, is like, you know, stressed on the top of the page. And of course it doesn't even do anything. <laughs> Yeah. So this is just, pain. I, I couldn't get through it by the way. Cause we got to the, they got to the, the picture section and it's like, it's like click all pictures of whatever. And I could never get past it. Did you get past that Carl? No, I didn't get to the end. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know if you can finish this thing. If you can, I, I'm not good at it. I, there's like three different uh, pages where they do the, the images where you have to select, you know, where, which ones are assigned. But what they do is they, they, they just, 
they mess with you because uh, the one is like all things that are a circle. And like one of them literally says like circle. <laughs> so you're like, okay, does that one have a circle or is it just the word circle? Like, does that count? I, I don't know. So I don't know. This thing causes me a lot of stress. So if you want to be stressed out, uh, you can go to our show notes and find the link for that one. All right, so we met up with you at uh, Build, and I believe the Graph Toolkit was announced at Build. Is that correct? Right, yeah. We had it at the keynote announcement. Okay, very cool. So for everybody who's listening, what is the Graph Toolkit? So the Graph Toolkit is a collection of of web components. So these are components that can work with any web framework. And uh, the cool thing about it is they already know how to talk to the Microsoft Graph. So for somebody that wants to start using the Microsoft Graph instead of their web application, it's only a few lines of code to start uh, displaying things such as calendar calendar events, tasks, people, etc. So we want to make it super easy for developers to authenticate and get started with the Graph instead of their web applications. Okay. And so go ahead, Carl. There you go. Okay. So I know there was this thing, this MSAL, which I think was something similar. Like if you had a spa app, you could, it made it easy to, to like do your authentication. Um, I don't know if it helped out with a graph, but like what, how does it relate to that? Does, does MSAL still exist? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. So the MSAL stands for the Microsoft Authentication Library. That's mm-hmm. the library that any developer would use to authenticate with Microsoft Identity, which is Azure Active Directory or your Microsoft accounts, such as you know, used for Xbox or Windows, etc. Um, and you use those libraries solely for the for the authentication. And we have libraries for .NET, for JavaScript, for Java, etc. Uh, that you can use on on any of your applications or server side code to authenticate users. And the toolkit uses the mcell.js library, which is intended to be used in, in a single page application to authenticate the user uh, with the Microsoft identity. And in order to use the Microsoft graph, you need to authenticate to get a token from Microsoft identity to be able to use uh, data from the graph inside of your applications. So the toolkit uses mcell.js okay. to, authenticate, to authenticate a user and then use that user's identity to fetch the data for that specific user from the graph. Okay. So if I just want to authenticate, I'm going to use MSAL or MSAL. And if I want to use the graph toolkit, then I just use the graph toolkit and then you do the the magic MSAL stuff for me. Right. So uh, one of the things that we heard from developers uh, when we started thinking about what should the toolkit be, one of the things uh, we heard is developers want to be able to get started really quickly, which means is they want to get uh, done with authentication as soon as possible. So we created what we call providers, and we have an MCEL provider, which uses MCEL.js, to automatically sign in the user by the developer just providing a client ID. Um, however, if a developer already is using MCEL or they're using a different authentication library or if they decided to kind of implement their own authentication, we also have the ability for them to kind of plug it in inside of the pipeline of the toolkit and then we'll automatically use their stuff. So we want to make sure that whether a developer wants to use our authentication and just do it in one line of code or whether they have their own authentication and just want to plug it into ours, they can do that. Or even if they don't have any authentication and just want to use the component as kind of dummy components, provide the data for them, they can do it as well. And the whole idea is that as a developer, you don't really have to kind of follow our way of doing things. You can kind of take your way and kind of do whatever you want to do. Mm, That's great. Yeah. So you said before that um, these are built on web components. Can you explain to everybody what web components are and why you chose uh, to build this uh, functionality with web components? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the second piece of con- the feedback we got, so the first one was the authentication. The second one of uh, feedback we got was that developers want to be able to use uh, common UI elements inside of their existing uh, web applications. And majority of web developers are using React.js these days, but there's also a big portion of developers who are using libraries such as Angular or Vue or even jQuery or whatever web the next web framework is going to be. Uh, so the feedback we got is that developer want to be able to use this whatever web framework they're using. And luckily, there is a web standard called Web Components. It's actually a set of three or four web standards that defines how common components can be rendered inside of a browser uh, using web standards only, not using a web framework. So the Web Component standard defines things such as custom elements. So that way I can pl- uh, plop in a component inside of my HTML just as I would a diff, and I can name it whatever I want. In in our case, we call them MGT-something. So mgt dash person is a person component. So you can just pop that in there as if it were a div or just another anchor element or whatever element is in HTML. It will work just as if it work on, on, uh, if you're using React or whatever it is. So it's a, it's a standard way of creating components for, for web developers. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They, they were able to just piggyback. I was wondering how you were supporting all the different uh, frameworks. So that's pretty cool that there's a, that there's a standard there. To celebrate the launch of their .NET Core support for APM, Raygun is giving away a free Raspberry Pi prize pack to a lucky winner. All you need to do is go to raygun.com slash dev dash show, and Raygun will let the winner know via email. Don't wait, because the winner will be chosen by July 22nd. So, like, once I, once I you know, sort of get past my initial authentication... Um, the actual web components you have, like what, what kinds of things are you visualizing? Um, I know you mentioned, I think you mentioned like calendar and, and like, I don't know if you mentioned tasks or, I mean, is that the kind of thing that we're showing? Right. So, um, for those that don't know, the Microsoft graph essentially is, um, is an endpoint that contains all the data that a user has in the Microsoft cloud. So things such as emails, um, events, uh, things in Windows such as your activities, uh, things such as in Office, uh, anything that we have as a first-party application, all the data that the user has, they have access through the Microsoft Graph. And uh, some of the things that we've created into the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, kind of to get started in preview, uh, we created a person component, which allows a developer to kind of just specify the name of a user and kind of display the user, the, the name and the um, picture. We have an agenda component, which just saying mgt-agenda on an HTML page will immediately go fetch uh, the calendar data for a specific user that's logged in and kind of display all their data, all their calendar data on, on that page. We have a task component that can work both with uh, Microsoft Planner, which is kind of project management uh, tasks uh, API, or with uh, Microsoft To-Do, which is kind of on the consumer side, uh, a to-do application, which has an his data accessible to the graph as well. Uh, we also have a component for um, uh, people. So if you want to get access to all the people that are or, or, or um, contacts there for a specific user. And finally, the most popular and the most uh, interesting one is the login component, which is actually ties in with the providers and allows a user to log into a web experience. So if as a developer, if you want to enable a user to log into your application and give you consent to use their data, you can use the login component, which is essentially just a sign-in button when nobody signed in, but it actually guides the user through the whole sign-in process and, and uh, abstracts that whole, uh, whole process from the developer. So as a developer, you just put a login component on your page 
and you're able to authenticate and the user is able to authenticate automatically. I like that because <laughs> this is always like, this is always the, you know, my biggest pain is getting the authentication working. So I definitely appreciate that. Right. Yeah. And we're not using anything new. We're just using the MCEL libraries for authentication. Right. So we're fully depending on them. We're just making some assumptions that most developers uh, uh, need for to authenticate to, to AAD. Mm-hmm. So once I get going, the toolkit really evolves a lot of easy abstractions so I can get data that's in the Microsoft graph and display them very easily um, in, in, in a web context. So what about things that are uh, like involving theming so I can make it match the rest of my site or transforming any data comes in? Are there plug-in points so I can uh, perform those kinds of uh, changes or am I kind of stuck with the, the theming and logic that's already built in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we taught uh, really hard on how to actually enable developers to kind of bring their own styles we heard two conflicting uh, kind of pieces of feedback. One is that developers want to use the Microsoft style inside their applications, and that's kind of the default style that we've uh, introduced. But we also heard feedback that they want to make it look like their application. So we introduced two ways to actually style the components. One is because this is just HTML and CSS, you can just provide your own CSS and overwrite our current styles. And that's pretty easy to do uh, in the web world. You just provide, you know, just override the class with whatever style you want for that specific element. And you can just override it and make it look the way you want it. The second part is if you want to add additional data, or let's say you want to expand on top of the component yourself and kind of include uh, things that we don't include by default inside of these components, we have the ability to completely retemplate all the components, kind of provide your own HTML template that will bind to the data that we get from the graph. So that way, you don't have to worry about getting the data from the graph. You'll have to worry about how you want the data to be displayed. And we kind of use a, a, the double mustache kind of syntax to kind of bind all the data to it. And if you go to our on our GitHub, you can actually see examples of how that works. But it's actually really powerful on, on how to actually take data that the graph provides you and just say, okay, I just want to put this is the subject, these are how I want to display all the users, this is what I want to display for each user, et cetera. And you kind of define that whole view of how you want to. That's pretty cool because I've had I've had some ideas around like showing my my calendar essentially. You know, I use my calendar for everything and essentially showing it from like different aspects. And it sounds like I can do that. I can like reorder things, display them however I want. Um it sounds pretty powerful. Cause every other time I've looked at doing it, it was always like complicated authentication, get the data and then figure out like how I actually want to display the data. And, you know, I have to like worry about everything. And it looks like this is just an awesome place. Cause I mean, if I just use the agenda view, I'm like 90% of the way there, which is super cool. Right, exactly. And that was our goal is like, if I just want to start and see what I can do, it's only a few lines of code just to do that. And as, as once I know what I can do and what's possible, then I can start customizing it the way that I need it to work. Yeah. I know with the graph, you can go to, um, what is the site? Is it graph.microsoft.com, I believe? Right, yeah, graph.microsoft.com. Yeah, is there a toolkit page I can go to that does something similar that shows me like the components? or? Yeah, so if you go to our GitHub page, which is aka.ms slash mgt, uh, that's our GitHub page that has all the code, and we do everything in the public. Okay. Uh, we also, when you go to docs.microsoft.com documentation, we also, all our documentation is hosted with the graph documentation as well. So you can see all the components and how to use them, get examples of that as well. 
And we're also working on an interactive demo page that uh, should be available in the next few months. They'll be able to kind of just play around with all the components and kind of copy-paste code inside of your application really easily. Oh, this is cool. So I, I was yeah, yeah I, I was looking at the, the GitHub page, and I'm like, well, I kind of want to see these things in action. But there's actually JS Fiddle pages for uh, some of these examples here. Right. And uh, this is pretty cool. So I can actually see, like, the agenda view in, in action. And it looks... It looks really nice. Like it's like ready to ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We created uh, what we call like a mock provider that uses kind of the uh, it's mock data that you yeah. can kind of just play around with it. You don't even have to log in; you can just play around with it. And I, I'm actually really proud of that. It's it's very easy to to visualize what this thing is. Yeah, yeah. So, what else can I do with the Microsoft Graph Toolkit today? So, those are the. F- Five components that I mentioned, which is the login component, uh, the agenda component, task component, person, and people. So there's five components that we have right now. And we also have uh, providers that enable authentication for the for Microsoft Identity. We have the Amcel provider, which uses the Amcel JS, as I mentioned. But we also have a SharePoint provider. So if you have a SharePoint web part and you want to put these components on there, that's absolutely possible. You can use the SharePoint provider to kind of just get the, get the context of the current logged in user and all the providers would automatically light up and be able to start using the, the grave data inside of your SharePoint app. Uh, and we also have a Teams provider that we're still kind of uh, tweaking that allows you to build a Teams app and use these components out of the Teams application and kind of do the exact same thing. You know, when we first started building these, we always thought like this is not just for web apps. It also should be wherever, you know, uh, developers use Graph on the web. This should, these should work. So we uh, want to make sure that these work on the web apps or progressive web apps. They work inside of uh Office, such as add-ins, and that's something we're working on and adding next. Uh, they work in Teams, and they work in SharePoint. Um, what What about in like a web view control? How well does this work with, inside uh, something like that? Uh, it just depends on on the on the web view control. We haven't tested this inside of uh, a UWP app yet. That's something that we want to do, as well as Electron. That's also on the roadmap, making sure that uh, these can fully function inside of web views. They might. I just don't know if they will because I have actually never run it myself. Um, Be- but if, because if, if you, you try can get it- into something like that, then the whole world of desktop uh, is lit up as well as uh, the web. So you pretty much have you know all of the bases covered at that point. So one way to actually get that to work if you want to do it for desktop, I assume you already have authentication handling inside of your desktop app. You can just pass in the token to the web view, and then that could actually make it work completely on in the web view as well uh, if you handle all the authentication on the native side. So if you use like mcell.net and get the token for the Microsoft Graph, then you can just pass that onto the web view, and then all these components can start working with just that token. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know this is totally off topic, but this... Uh Microsoft to do. This is pretty cool too. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I feel ashamed that I've never looked at it before. Like I really should have, but I've been a big Trello user. Uh, but this is pretty cool. And I like how it, um, integrates in like the, the flagged email and all of that. And it actually, uh, handles my biggest pet peeve, which is it used to be an outlook. If you archived something that was flagged, it would just disappear off your flagged list. Um, and this actually keeps it in there so I can get to inbox zero, but I can still have like a, a list of flagged emails, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. But anyway, I know that wasn't like your yeah. thing or anything, but no, no, that, that's exactly it. Not many yeah. developers realize that all of these, uh, 
platforms, all these applications, first-party applications that we create are accessible through the Microsoft Graph, and mm-hmm. Microsoft To Do is one of them. So if a user is using Microsoft To Do, you can easily access the the data inside of To Do through the Microsoft Graph, and then it's one of the things they want to create is these components that make it easy for you to integrate inside of your applications. Yeah, I really like it. Um, so I think you mentioned before, like this is, uh, I think it's like in beta right now, right? Is, is this, um, when is all this going to be available released? Right. Yeah. So it's in preview currently. And the reason why it's in preview is because we want to just get feedback from the community and make sure that, um, what we're building is actually what the community needs. We are completely, uh, we completely do all our development in GitHub. So all our project management is done in GitHub projects. Uh, we get all our feedback through GitHub issues. Uh, and then we just work with the community to make sure that this project is beneficial to everybody. So that's the reason why we put it in preview. And then we also want to make sure that we handle things such as accessibility, localizations, customization, and we do the right thing there. So we're thinking in the next maybe few months, we can actually move on to a 1.0 where we've actually, we, we believe that we're in a good position to call this production ready. Uh, and then we're planning to add a few more components and a few cool things in there that's going to make life much easier for graph developers. Cool. Is there anything on your roadmap or any additional components that uh, you don't have up on the GitHub site? Well, I was hoping you can ask me that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So the few more components that we're building is uh, the number one requested one is the people picker component. So we're building a people picker. So that way, as a developer, they can kind of place it into their page. And if they want to select a person from, from the Microsoft Graph, they can do that with a really unified experience. We have a, a people card in the works as well that displays all the the, the uh, rich details about a specific person. Uh, and then we're also working on an expanded calendar control. Uh, the agenda control right now just displays a set of events. We want to build it into a full-fledged calendar where you can actually see day, week, month view and be able to kind of add and remove calendar events and kind of just uh, have a full full calendar in there. So that's some of the things that we're working on for, for components. Uh, we also uh, work adding support for uh, Office add-ins, so be able to kind of use these components on our Office add-ins and any other web uh, f- uh, framework that we're kind of missing. We want to add support for that as well. Uh, we're also investing in our ways of how to actually generate components automatically from uh, from graph data. So let's say I get a make a graph API call and I want to just be able to kind of display that data richly inside of my application. We're kind of looking into how we can do that. It's not something that we're ready to kind of play around with because it's still early in that development, but we're still kind of investing how to do that. And then finally, we're looking into ways of how can we enable developers to kind of create their own components really easily. And I believe this is something that we're actually really close in just providing snippets for developers to to build additional components for not just the toolkit, but inside of their application that automatically get the context for the current logged in user and can start calling the data and the users just have to provide the view for it uh, as they need. So there's some of the areas that we're kind of looking into right now. Cool. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I think we covered it pretty well. Uh, you know, I think we covered it really well. I just want to make sure that developers are aware that this is a, a fully open source project and mm-hmm. we are you know, more than happy to kind of work with the community. And we're actually encouraging the community to kind of help us out by providing issues or even contributions. We have issues on our page that are targeted with help wanted. So if somebody wants to kind of start working on some uh, new components or or adding some new features to existing components, they're more than uh, welcome to do so. Uh, make sure to look at our GitHub page at aka.ms slash MGT. Look at our docs page on graph.microsoft.com. 
Um, and then for any news or, or anything, if you just want to kind of reach out to me, they can get me on, on my uh, a Twitter account, which is at Metulif. Very cool. Any other questions, Carl? No, I just do want to say, though, that I really like the uh, the mascot for the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. Right, yeah, so it's the giraffe. I mean, oh, yeah, we didn't talk giraffe, about that. <laughs> yeah. The giraffe is actually the mascot for the Microsoft Graph, and we're using the same mascot as the Microsoft Graph or the Microsoft Graph Toolkit because we're one big giraffe family. And uh, it's it's been fun. I was uh, If anybody was at Build or watched any of the Build uh, talks, I was dressed as a giraffe for the three days during uh during during build which is uh really fun yeah it's definitely memorable yeah. <laughs> okay cool so let's move on so i actually have a hardware pick of the week which is um it's this really cool thing so picture in your mind um a, a, two iphone chargers you know the little white iphone chargers which are five watts imagine two of those without the prongs and stack those up um, I bought a laptop charger for my MacBook Pro that is 60 watts. That is the size of two of those iPhone chargers. And it's all thanks to this uh, new technology, uh, which you can, you can search for the technology. It is, um, oh God, what do they, what do they call it? It is, um, I'll have to look up what the, what the technology is. There's a name for it. But anyway, it's making it so that they can build adapters way, way, way smaller. This thing's about a quarter of the size of my original laptop charger. Um, and it's got a USB-C out. And it weighs almost nothing. So it's tiny, weighs almost nothing. So this is definitely a travel tip for you is to get one of these. And it will make your bag uh, noticeably lighter. And it will um, uh, take up very little room. So, um, between this and the charger, you know, the anchor charger I use that charges like everything else, um, I, I, what I'll do is I'll leave that back in my hotel room and that'll charge all my devices. And then this will charge the, uh, the laptop where, you know, wherever I go in somewhere. And we were talking about this before, uh, the show started like 60 Watts is, um, not always enough for a device, you know, whether it's a surface laptop or MacBook pro or whatever. Uh, but only in rare cases where you're doing like extreme gaming or you're doing like video processing, where you're really working the cores, um, will it not be enough? And in that case, it just starts draining your battery a little bit. So even me like editing video, this thing will actually keep up, um, because I don't, um, you know, I just have enough battery power that it'll, it'll keep up uh, just fine. And then for normal usage, it's, uh, it's just plenty. So, um, let me look up what the technology was called. Um, cause you have to look for, but we'll have a link to the, the actual device. It's the, uh, this is the energy, uh, 60 watt adapter. And, um, Carl, did you, do you remember the name of the technology? I can't, I'm trying to look it up right now. Yeah. Um, cause it doesn't have it on the Amazon page. Yeah. I thought it was there originally cause I, cause I found it. Um, I found it originally, but it's like, uh, it's like PED or something is the, is the acronym. This is Jason from the future. And the technology that you're thinking of is GAN gallium nitride. And don't worry one day in the past, you'll thank me, but it, it's just, it's really amazing. I just can't believe that you can build an adapter now this tiny that is equivalent to a giant charger. Um, it's just really unbelievable. Um, okay. Uh, Nicola, where can people find you online? 
So I'm on Twitter. So if you go to just my last name at Metulev on Twitter, I'm responsive, and you can ask questions or just tweet things at me, and I'll retweet you. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer, and you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/ytechie. And Nicola, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about the Graph Toolkit. This is pretty cool. It's an awesome way to accelerate uh, this type of application. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Thank you for having me.